have a favorite book in the Bible? Anybody ever asked you that before? You ever thought about it before? You got a favorite book in the Bible? Well, I have about, I don't know, 30 some odd favorite books in the Bible, I guess I could say, maybe more than that. It, but if you really narrowed it down, what would be the one you'd come up with? Let me, let me ask you even more specifically. We, we call the first four books of the New Testament the Gospels. Now, you do know this, don't you? The Gospel is found in every book of the Bible. Every book. Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospel is clearly found. Jesus is the central focus of God's Word. And yet, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of those four Gospels, do you have a favorite Gospel writer? Do you have a favorite gospel book. Now, that doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't mean that uh, you're advanced in your Christianity. I'm just asking out of curiosity. Again, if we, took, if we took the time to ask, I'm just guessing that if you chose one of those four, many of you, maybe the majority of you would say, John. I love John. Well, I don't blame you. It's a great book. It's the gospel whose key word is the word belief or believe. And it's a great book. I often preach from it. I love it. But if you pushed me, I would tell you right now, at least, and has been for some time, and I might would even argue it's my most favorite book in the whole Bible. It has spoken to me incredible times. And there have been so many times I've read it. Folks, you're going to have to understand, I cry a lot uh, these days. Something happened to me a couple of years ago called cancer, and... uh, they put medicine inside of me, and they told me that this medicine affects people in different ways. Some people have a road or they have a rage to them. They kind of get angry, and other people, they cry a lot. I can watch an ant cross the floor, and I go, bless his heart. You know, I mean, I just kind of get, I just got a problem with it. I, honestly, I've been watching a ball game, and they stand up and sing the, the national anthem, and I'm just, just wiping my eyes. I love America. You know, I'm just, I got a real problem. So, having said that, I will tell you that there is a book in the New Testament that just, I can't hardly read it without tears in my eyes, and it's the gospel I want you to turn to this morning. It's the gospel of Mark. Would you go to Mark chapter 1 with me? I love Mark for many reasons. Mark is, uh, he 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 was a guy who wrote succinctly. He wrote with, he wrote quickly. The key word in the book of Mark is the word straightway. It's the old English word, the old King James word that means immediately. Now, in the first century, first century writers uh, that were not biblical writers, they were just, they were followers of the Lord, but they were not biblical writers. They they said that the the gospel that Mark wrote (coughs) was clearly written by John Mark. However, it was guided by thoughts and direction by his close friend, Peter. In fact, some people would say the Gospel of Mark is like the, is, could also have been entitled the Gospel according to Peter. Well, I, I'm not going to argue the point. The point is that Mark is its human author. The Holy Spirit was the one who divinely guided it, but Peter was also involved in it. And so when, when, when I hear the word immediately or straightway as the key word of the Gospel of Mark, it just fits. That, that impulsive, uh, quick-moving Peter was all over this book. And I love this about Mark. 
But I'll tell you something else I love about it is that the, he brings out some details about the life of Christ that, that just move me. And as we look at the very first chapter, I want you to see something that, to me, it's very compelling. I have no motive behind this, what we're going to look at. I'm just the delivery boy, okay? I'm just the messenger, and I just want to show you what we can learn from the life of Christ. It just jumps right into his life. Let's pick it up in verse 21, when it simply says, And they went into Capernaum. Now, you know this is... This is Jesus and his followers, his disciples. And they went into Capernaum, and here it is, straightway, on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, that means he, he was demon-possessed, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know, I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him, and they were all amazed. Insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, well, what, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue... They entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And a nun, or quickly, immediately, soon, they tell him of her. <laughs> and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately, there it is, the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. You talk about a quick healing. She just got up and started. She didn't even, she didn't even need time to, uh, uh, to catch her breath and say, okay, give me just a little. Okay, I'm getting my strength back. She just jumps up and starts serving. This was complete and total healing. I love it. Verse 32. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, little villages, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Something that's very compelling to me in this whole reading is something that's been a help to me, and it helps us just to kind of clarify and clear our focus. You know, 
uh, I just heard the other day, and I, I, I forgive me, I should have looked up the exact date. Uh, wristwatches didn't come about until the 1800s. I think it was the mid to the later 1800s that someone came up with the wristwatch. We're so dependent upon it. Now, some of you may not have it because you got a phone now, and you look at your phone to see what time it is. I get that, but we're so, we're so conscious of the time. I've already mentioned it and referenced it in some opening comments. We're always conscious of it. Some people wonder if I am when I preach, but I am. I'm very conscious of what the time is. But the point I'm trying to say is that, that uh, time, is, time is a gift. Did you know that? It is a gift. I don't wake up a day of my life without being reminded this day is a gift from God. And every minute is a gift from the Lord. And it is to be, are you ready? Enjoyed. So many people walk around not enjoying life. Life is, life is filled up of moments and life is filled up with, with minutes and life is filled up with hours and it is to be enjoyed. It is a gift from God. And it's not only to be enjoyed, it's to be employed. We're supposed to do something with our time. We're supposed to do something with our life. No guilt trip intended here. It's just a matter of fact. It is the Lord who's given us time. Go back and read in the book of Genesis how he created all things in a 24-hour period. Uh, every day, every day. The Lord set this world up with a matter of time. But here's, here's what we need to see. Watches. How they've expanded these days. I remember a day, in fact, you may still have one, in which you, you could just kind of shake your wrist and it would wind the battery on the inside. I remember having one like that. Uh, I, I, uh, watches that would shine in the night, you know. It just kind of some kind of little iridescent. You'd look over and go, oh, yay, you know, it's midnight. Whatever the case may be if, it was in a, if you were in a dark room. Um, but now we got watches. I don't know if you have one like I got. Uh, we got watches these days that they, they do all kinds of things. I mean, they tell you about your exercise program and how you need to get up and get going, you know. And uh, uh, they, they tell you uh, they tell you your heart rate. You got one of those watches that tell you what your heart rate is, and uh, and it, it'll tell you the I can I can check the weather right here, right here on my watch. I can find out uh, what it's like outside, and I can uh, I can check uh, some messages right here on my watch. You know what? It's it's an amazing thing. Occasionally, it'll even tell me what time it is. I uh, mean, it's just a it's just an amazing thing. I even my even my watch even tells me it's time. Uh, every once in a while, it'll say it's time to breathe. I mean, it gives me this breathing app, you know, breathe, you know. I go, oh, good, I'm glad you reminded me. I hadn't been breathing for a couple hours, you know. I mean, it's, it just is a machine to help you in so many ways. Time is something that I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm very conscious of. I'm always thinking about it. And something that fascinates me is that Jesus never seemed rushed. And Jesus was never late. And he never stayed somewhere longer than what he should. When I was younger in the ministry, and I know that surprises you as you look at me. You mean you were young? Yeah. When I was younger in ministry, I can remember being so, so torn trying to do everything in my first ministry down in the state of Florida. I was just trying to juggle so many different things. You ever feel like time is just getting away from you? I was a husband. I was a father. I was a youth pastor. I was an assistant pastor. I was a friend. I was a coach on our ball teams. I was trying to juggle so many different things. And I was trying to, trying to get everything done and conscious of, of trying to get ready for Sunday services and trying to get ready to, to, to be a help to my wife and all the various things that pull for your 
time. And somewhere along the way, try to get some sleep. And try to, you know, the drive through windows of, of restaurants became such a help. Just grab food on the run and take off, which is not real healthy most of the time. And you just kind of live on the run trying to juggle everything and trying to accomplish everything that was on your agenda. And as, the truth is, on a Lord's Day, on a Sunday, maybe you come here and you're, you're kind of relaxed, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, when Monday the alarm clock begins to ring, there is that obvious sense of, I've got so much to do today. I don't know if you're one of these kind of people who makes a list of everything that you're supposed to do. Maybe the old-fashioned way of writing them down. Uh, nowadays, we put them on our phone, and we make notes, and we, we, we figure out all the things i got to try to do and how much time i gotta got to make this phone call, i got to write this letter, i got to go here, i got to take care, i got to pick up these items. You know what I'm talking about. That pressure of time and the crunch of trying to accomplish everything that has to be done. Listen to what Jesus had to say about his life. Ready? He said this in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. Now look, Jesus was on a schedule. He said, I've got a work to do. But listen to what he said at the end of his life. He said in John chapter 17 and verse 4, listen to this, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Schedule. Pressure, time, juggling all the things that are pulling for your life. You know, as I read Mark chapter 1, as we just read it with you, you know what I'm compelled with? You know what, you know what moves me? You know what just stirs me? I see the compelling priorities in the life of Christ. I see what's really important in His life. Now, I want to be like Jesus. Do you? Now, be honest. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Now, just answer to your own heart. Do I really want to be like him? Then maybe we ought to go back, maybe we ought to tap the brakes of our life and say, well, what were the most important priorities in the life of Jesus? You say, yeah, but Mr. Preacher, yeah, he, he lived at a different time. He lived at a different age. And, and he, uh, you know, I mean, they didn't have cars and they didn't have a, a lot of pressures. Listen, Jesus knew what it was to be fatigued. He knew what it was to be tired. He worked and he was tired. He slept on a boat that was in the middle of a storm. He knew what it was like to be weary. He had people pulling for his time and attention. He knew the, 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 the pressures of day-to-day life. He, he knew what it was like to, uh, to have to juggle so many different things in a day of harsh schedules. He, he knew what it was like to go through many of the things that you and I face every day. So what were his priorities? I think we can read them right here in this passage. And I hope you've already seen some of them. I'm just going to kind of skim the surface because of time. I'm going to try to tell you what were his priorities. Because I want to be like him, they ought to be our priorities too. They ought to be mine, they ought to be yours. What were they? Well, I think you saw the first one, didn't you? Look at verse 35. This was a priority in the life of Christ. He says there in verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out. And departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, don't get lost in the simplicity of this. This is the truth. The first thing I see, the first thing I want to bring out to you is I see that it was a priority in the life of Christ. I, I, I say it this, this way the private practice of prayer. Now, there's a place for public prayer. 
I, th- I think the, the, the prayer of a pastor to, as he opens a service and as he prays for his flock in the middle of a sermon or in the middle of a, of a service or something, I think it's extremely important. Public prayer is important, but this was a private practice of prayer. I, th- I think that there is something here that we need to be reminded of. You say, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. No, 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 tap the brakes and stay with me. It says, and rising up a great while before day. The language there tells us he got up during that fourth watch of the night. You know, what time was that? Are you ready? Anytime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, I'm not telling you to get up tomorrow morning at 3 o'clock or even 4. I'm not telling you that you ought to get up in what we would call many cases the middle of the night. But would you notice something? I read to you all that took place in the life of Christ before we come to this point. What was that? Well, he went into the synagogue in Capernaum. That's where he called his home at this time. He goes into the the synagogue of Capernaum, and he teaches, he preaches. Someone, one of the, the priest assistants, hands him one of the scrolls. He opens it up, and he reads from it, and he preaches so much so that the people there in Capernaum said, this guy, man, he speaks with authority. William Hendrickson, a commentator, says that that Jesus was different from the scribes because the scribes of that day, are you ready, were boring. You say, oh, I've heard those guys. Yeah, they've been in every generation. I don't want to be a part of them, but here's the deal. They were were boring. Jesus was not. He was was engaging. He taught the scriptures with authority, the Bible says. He expressed it and taught it in such a way that people said, this is like nothing else I've ever heard before. This is an incredible thing. And then on top of that, in, in, into, the, into the synagogue comes a man who has at least, uh, I, think, I think, a couple of demons in him because the demon says, what do you have with, to do with us? But anyway, he delivers that man. He delivers him from that, those demons that are controlling him. And, and uh, I mean, this, this was an event. I mean, we read it in a couple of verses and we go, yeah, yeah. We read it in like you know, five seconds. This took time. I don't know if the man collapsed and someone had to help him back up. I mean, I don't know if he, if he had friends or family or if Jesus went over and assisted him. I don't know. and You don't either. But my point to you this morning is that this took time and took energy. It, it expanded energy out of the life of Jesus. And then after that, it was the Sabbath. What did they do? Well, they went over to Peter's home. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel I've been once, and the, the, they, they have pulled up the synagogue that pulled up. They have, uh, they've dug through, and they found the synagogue where uh, the days that Jesus were, were, and they feel like they have found Peter's home. It's just a stone's throw. I mean, it's just, they're just not too far away from each other, and, and uh, it was big enough that Peter and Andrew, and uh, if they had children, they all lived there, and his own mother-in-law lived there. And so Jesus comes over, and, and they, they walk over there into, into Peter's home. When they get inside there, uh, someone says, uh, uh, maybe, maybe Jesus says, Where, where's your mom? As he speaks to Peter's wife, and oh, she's, she's very sick. She's got a fever. I don't know how it went, but somebody said to him, uh, she's got a fever. It was an early version of the COVID. I don't know. And he walks over and he, and he takes her by the hand and he raises her up. And boom, she just jumps up and starts serving. I love that. No vaccination, just jumps up and starts serving. Gets with it. Complete healing. 
Now, because it's the Sabbath, everybody's gone to their homes and everybody's you know, doing their, they're having the Sabbath meal and everything's fine. And the Bible makes the point that at evening, when the evening came, when finally you could come out and be out and around and be with other people and do things, they started gathering around Peter's home because they knew that's where Jesus was. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that the entire city came out. Now, folks, Excavators and, and historians tell us that at least 1,500 people, probably as much as, as uh, maybe as much as 10,000 people lived there in that city. Let's just make it somewhere in between. 5,000? I don't know. It says the whole city came. Can you imagine the mob that gathered around Peter's home? Can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine... How many people were there and they were looking for help. They had sick friends and they, they had loved ones. All of a sudden, this story of Christ and what he could do was beginning to spread and things were beginning to happen. It, in, Luke, in Luke's gospel, I'm taking far too much time, but I want you to see the background. In Luke 4, in verse 40, the Bible tells us that Jesus spent time with each individual who was sick and needed individual time. This was no, some mass healing. Like you see these yahoos on TV who raise their hands and go, Voom! you know, and they have these fake, fake events that take place. Jesus was conscious of each individual. You say, Morris, what's the point? The point is he had to have been weary. He had to have been tired. And so at some point he goes to bed and rising up a great while before day, he set as a priority the private practice of prayer. Is prayer really that important to you? You say, I pray every day. I pray today. I don't doubt that. You're a Sunday school crowd, and there's no need for me to be putting anybody on a guilt trip, but I want you to understand something. The subject of prayer has become more precious to me. I feel like an elementary student trying to teach a, a postgraduate degree subject. I don't know. I, I have, there's so much I don't know about prayer, but what I have seen, what I have learned, I can't communicate fully all I want to say about it. Two years ago, what, three years ago now, my life came to a screeching halt. Don't want to dwell on it. The rug came out from under me. I didn't travel. I didn't preach for an entire year. I was under doctor's care. I was in a hospital for half a month. I was under... I was under a complete cancer treatment. Everything that took place didn't have enough energy hardly to, at times, to hold my head up. At times, I, folks, I'm not trying to dwell on this, but when I did get strong enough, you know what one of the greatest joys of my life was? I didn't have to watch this watch all the time. And I could go out and take a walk and just spend time with God for long seasons of prayer. I don't want to ever get cancer again. But I'd take nothing for those days. And the lessons learned about prayer. I love to look, walk around and watch a bird fly and praise the Lord for his creation. I love to watch flowers bloom and say, God, you, you're a master creator. I'm not telling you to spend long walks in your neighborhood. I'm not telling you that's what you've got to do. Can I just ask you this? Would you take a look at your prayer life and say, is it really a priority in my life? I don't know what works for you. I don't know if keeping a journal of prayers and answer to prayers. I don't know if taking a walk works for you. I don't know if getting up earlier works for you. I don't know. 
would you take a look at your life and ask yourself, is, this, is it as vibrant as what it used to be, as it ought to be? It was a priority in the life of Christ. You ever seen anybody famous? Really, you ever seen anybody? I, I fly, I'm flying a whole lot more these days, and, and it's amazing some of the things, the people that you can see in airports. I kind of, you know, these days everybody's got their head buried in their phone when you walk in an airport and everybody runs into everybody. But I like to look around and see if I see anybody. My wife's saying to me, you're not going to see anybody famous. I go, hey, look, there goes Santa Claus. You know, and I mean, I, I will walk around. Folks, the humor doesn't get any better than that. All right, I'm sorry. That's all I got. You know the name Ron Howard? Rode on a plane with that guy. I wanted to say, hey, Opie. You know, I, I wanted to. Uh, he and I are the exact same age. Uh, we're one month apart or just a few days apart. I mean, I wanted to say those things, but I didn't say any of those things. Some of you know him as uh, Richie Cunningham. Maybe it's a better term. Or maybe a movie di- Hollywood director. I did say something to him. He said, what did you say? I said, hi. He said, what did he say? He said, hey. And that was it. You um, know Hulk Hogan? <laughs> he wrestled mania people. The old wrestler. I rode on a plane with him one time. He wasn't that impressive. He put on a show for a few people, but I didn't like it. Um, Pat Riley, an old basketball coach and now a general manager for an NBA team. I, I spoke with him. I've spoken with some baseball people. I'm kind of in the sports world, and so I look for some of them. I've seen some of those guys, and some you'd know, some you wouldn't know. I've seen some of these. I've seen some uh, Hollywood people, famous people. I talked to Tony Dungy on the phone a while back. You know who he is? Old football coach. Yeah, great guy. Good, got a great testimony. He loves the Lord, loves the Lord. Yeah, I talked to him. I got greater news for you. I talked to the Lord this morning. And somehow or another, we kind of lose the greatness of to whom we speak. It was a priority. If it was a priority in the life of Jesus, is it a priority to you? You say, Morris, you don't know how busy I am. Busier than Jesus? Number one, I see the private practice of prayer. Number two, and I've just got a few more moments. I see the place and the predominance of the scriptures. For sake of time, can I just can I remind you how Jesus was in the synagogue and what did he do? He preached. He taught the word of God. You say, but Morris, I'm not a preacher. I get it, but stay with me. And then when Jesus was out praying, did you see what happened? His disciples came to him. I, I need you to see this. It says there uh, in verse 37, and when they had found him, they didn't know where Jesus was. They went looking for him. When they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, let's make something out of this. I mean, we had a great day yesterday, great night last night. Hey, come on, come on. Everybody's looking for you. What does Jesus say? Let's go to the next little villages, little towns we don't even know the names of, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive him, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Folks, the word of God was a priority in the life of Christ. 
Now, I know this is like basic Christianity 101, but I've got to ask God's people, is the Word of God still a priority in your life? I'm talking, I'm talking kind of in a twofold vein, but it's all linked together. I'm talking about the fact that there ought to be a regular time when you, alone with the Word of God, you're spending time not just to read words, but to let God read you. And to take time to hear what He has to say in your own life, to consciously hear His voice speak to you. And to recognize that He's saying something, it is, it is a priority in your life, the, the, the predominance of the Word of God in your life. And again, not just to check off a day's reading time, but to say, God, I need to hear from you today. I can't take a step. The rest of this day, I can't can't go forward without hearing from you. We call it walking with God. Listen, it's not enough to just know about God. It's not enough just to argue about the fact that there is a God. It's not enough just to to, to deal with, to debate about God. It's not enough just to... Hmm, I want to contemplate God. We've been called to walk with God, to spend time with Him. And it starts by meditating in His Word. I was challenged about this when I was a teenager. And I'll be honest, I took, it, I took what preachers had to say about it uh, to the test, and I have found it to be more true than what they even said. That the Bible says, Blessed is the man who meditates in the Word of God day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I said it's twofold. Number one, there's the element of your own private time in the Word of God, but there's that predominance of what did Jesus do? He preached the Word of God. You said, But Morris, I'm not a preacher. That's not what I'm, what I'm trying to say. There is the place of listening to the preached Word of God. I have no motive. I have no ulterior uh, guilt trip that I'm trying to put on you. But folks, you and I need the proclamation of the Word of God. I've had pastors tell me, and I'm so grateful that you're here this morning, and your pastor has certainly not said this. He has said just the opposite. But I've had pastors tell me, I'll tell you what, this COVID stuff, it's really caused us to realize there are some people that church was just evidently not that important to them. Because when it came time for us to open the doors, they just said, I don't think we're ready to go. I'm just not going to go back. And even when it was made clear that everything was clean and everything was fine, they still wouldn't come. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, again, the Holy Spirit, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But I mean, I say to you, the preaching of the Word of God ought to be a priority. It was in the life of Jesus. The private practice of prayer, the place and predominance of the Scriptures, And I just will touch this and move on and finish. It's the personal passion for people. Jesus was always about people. You know, people can be very draining, can't they? People can be very taxing. Now, don't look at anybody and say, hey, he's talking about you. No, uh, people can drain you. And there's so much pulling for our time. Some people are believers and some are unbelievers. And that so it was in the life of Jesus. He always had time for them. Are you catching this? Look, we live in a day in which all kinds of philosophies are being expressed about how to touch our world. Life touching life. How do you do it? There are some people, look, I'm all, I'm all about separation from the world. Are you with me? I am. But some people's philosophy about about the world is, oh, no, 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 no. Stay completely away from the world. You know, just like we lived social distancing. 
We need to be socially distant from the world, have nothing to do with this world, and never interact with them. You know, kind of hand them a gospel track like, here, here read this. <laughs> Stay away from me. That's not the way to reach the world. Jesus was out and around with people. Other people say, no, no, that's an extreme. But you know, preacher, we're supposed to live and we're supposed to be so distinct and so unique that when people look at us, they can, they can see that there is something totally different about us and that there is an oddness, a weirdness to our life that they think, oh, he must be a follower of Jesus. No, friends, you know, I don't see anything in the Scriptures that tell us that Jesus dressed any differently than his society and that he was somehow another, some kind of an odd character than the culture in which he lived in. Now, then, then I'm not talking about immodesty. I'm just talking about he, he lived within his world. He looked, looked like a Jewish man. Otherwise, Judas Iscariot wouldn't have had to point him out in the garden. He would have said, just take the one who's just acting strange. No. You don't reach the world by being odd. You don't reach the world by being avoiding them. Other people say, oh, no, how to reach the world is so much time is spent with, with other believers, with uh, God's people, that we just don't have much time to be around unbelievers. I understand that. But, you know, you can have Bible studies and, and, uh, and, and all kinds of interaction with God's people and never interact with the lost world around us, and that's not what we were told to do. And somebody else says, I know how to reach the world. We reach the world by being just like them. Just carry on just like them. No, we're to be like Jesus. When he looked at people who needed help, his heart went out to them. Maybe you and I will just simply pray, God, break my heart for the world around me. Let me see people who need the Savior. Time is a gift from God. How are you using it? Let's take the priorities in the life of Christ and make them ours. You say, Morris, I'm doing my best to live by those priorities. All right, good. Just evaluate. Am I living with a private practice of prayer, the place and predominance of the Scriptures, and is there a personal passion for, for people around me? Just trying to turn the soil over so we can get started for this week. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for our time here in the Word of God this morning, Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the example that you set. I pray that during these days here at Fostoria Baptist that you will meet with us in a dynamic way. Promote inside of us what you want to have promoted. We need your help. and We look forward to what you're going to do. We ask it all in your wonderful name. Amen. Pastor.